0: And the new tech startup of the year is. Truck, yeah, Cluster Truck. In this interview series we call The Circuit, TechPoint serves up the human stories behind the major tech headlines in Indiana. I'm your host, Roger Schumann, Senior Relationship Manager at TechPoint. Today we talk to Chris Baggett, CEO and co founder of Cluster Truck, along with COO Brian Hallenstein. Cluster Truck is disrupting the growing food delivery industry. By putting the well-being of their drivers first. An early pioneer in ghost kitchens, Cluster Truck is positioned as a leader in the projected $1 trillion industry. In this episode, we discuss the motivation behind founding Cluster Truck, how their kitchen operation differs from other delivery services, and what's on the horizon. All right. Well, I am with Chris Baggett, the CEO and co-founder of Cluster Truck. Chris, thank you so much for allowing us into your building, and we've got a chance to go into the, one of the restaurants today and see that. Oh, as well at awesome. One of the kitchens. So, thanks for that. Um, so, if you follow TechPoint and the work that we do, and I know you're very aware of, of TechPoint, um, this is a little different, right? This kind of this kind of technology company is a little different than what we're what we're used to looking at. So,
1: tell me how Cluster Truck. Is a technology company. You know, we started off to solve a technology problem, which is aligning preparing food and the timing of preparing food with the delivery. Where is the driver? When will they arrive to the kitchen? When should I cook the food? Um, Where is the customer? Mm -hmm. And how can we maximize this process using machine learning and algorithms? Um, To do that, because a model didn't exist, we literally had to build the Prototype kitchens to kind of make the software work. It, it, it only worked if we controlled the entire stack, if you will. Okay. So, Cluster Truck is a ghost
0: kitchen, right? I mean, you're comfortable with that term. Yes. And ish. Yeah, okay. Well, that <laughs> might be interesting to talk about as well. But, ghost kitchens, the, the growth has been phenomenal, right? The past few years, you might say you got lucky in terms of when, when you started your company. Pandemic hits and ghost kitchen growth is going through the roof. I've read one thing that says that uh, one report that says that growth kitchen revenue could reach a trillion dollars a year by 2030. Right. Right. So um, you kind of got ahead of the curve on that. What what is what are your plans to grow uh, cluster truck for the
1: next few years? Sure. We kind of have two paths we're taking. Um, but one is the technology itself. So, when we started and we started working on software in two thousand and fifteen, we didn't open a kitchen until two thousand and sixteen. Mm. Um, literally this week will be our sixth anniversary of our first kitchen. but um now there's an entire ghost kitchen industry. So now there is a lot more opportunity for us to to promote and license our software to other ghost kitchens without us having to physically own and operate restaurants. And then the second area that we're looking hard at, um, and we're actually going down the path of, is franchising. So the entire cluster truck system, which includes not only the software, but also the food. But independently, there could be ghost kitchens that don't serve our orange chicken, Josh. You know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Inside joke. But yeah. So, you know, there'll be a complete cluster truck model that can be a franchise and then freeing our software to go out and target all kinds of people who may be interested in 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 managing their own delivery for ghost kitchens. So in essence, the system that you built
0: in 2015 because of the expansive growth that, that's taking place in ghost kitchens, you're now able to pick that up and drop that into other, other systems as well for exactly. other people to use.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It just didn't exist. We were the first ghost kitchen on earth, I yeah. think. So it, um, you know, now the market is finally, and it's not there yet. Like yeah. Nobody is doing anything close you know, to the kind of volumes we're doing. Most yeah. ghost kitchens that you read about do 10 or 15 orders a day. Um, you know, we're going to do 800 orders a day in Indy, right. and, and even our suburban kitchens will do well over 100, uh, which, you know, I mean, our worst performing kitchen is still the busiest ghost kitchen on earth, or <laughs> the fifth or sixth, because they're all ours. <laughs> but um, but that's the whole idea of the vertical integration, right. and, and it all comes down to the actual software of managing the drivers. The other systems are all completely dependent on third parties, and that's proven it doesn't work. Yeah, But that's the only game in town, so yep. that, that gets very exciting to... Entrepreneurs.
0: You know, one of the things is, as we look around, this looks like a kitchen, so mm-hmm. it looks familiar. Um, but it's a ghost kitchen. Yep. Um, I kind—I've been in kitchens before. It's not quite as noisy as other kitchens that mm-hmm. I've been in. So, I mean, ghost kitchen doesn't mean it's quiet, right? So, tell me a little bit about what's going on here and what's different than maybe some, some somewhere else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, the biggest thing you're going to see different is that our software is going to control a lot of the process in here. So. Traditionally, when you're in a restaurant, you'll have expeditors that'll be controlling the whole process, that'll be telling um, you know, different stages on the line when to fire different items, when to, when to cook it, when things should be done. Um, here we control that all with software, and we have to do that in order to make that sync with what's going on with the kitchen, what's happening with the drivers, what's happening with the orders that are coming in. Yeah. We need all that to tie together, we need all that to integrate, we need to do some planning, some, some swapping around, some managing. In order to do that, it all has to happen with software. So it all happens with these screens, and we're able to take over a lot of those processes here with technology.
0: So how much does that software really dictate everything that's going on here today? Where people are, what food's being prepared?
2: A lot of it. Yeah. A lot of it. So software pretty much dry, is, is basically the quarterback of the kitchen. So it's going to tell, tell things when to fire, um, when not to fire, when, okay. to, when to
0: hold off. So uh, software's right in the middle of it. So like I'm a user of ClusterTruck, so I can kind of see when when my meal's being being prepared, and like you're even indicating to drivers, right? So they know when they're supposed to show up to pick up an order. Yep. Yeah. So as a
2: customer of ClusterTruck, and looking at our looking at our wait times, looking yeah. at the website, you have a view right into our kitchen. So that's that's all data that's being pumped out in real time. Um, same thing with our couriers. We're managing our relationship with our couriers and our drivers all the same way. So. We know what's happening in our kitchen. We know what's happening with orders coming in. We know what happens with order being delivered. And all that
0: works together in order to make Cluster truck possible. So, you know, I've seen Uber Eats. I've seen Grubhub, everybody else. What, what's different about your drivers compared to other drivers? I've heard, I've read, that your drivers make a pretty good living. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me a little bit more about that, that process and how that works, how it compares to, to Grubhub and everyone else?
2: Yeah, so when we designed the cluster truck system, we decided to put drivers right in the center of it. We tried to make them, a, they were a core constituency. So if our drivers did not make a sustainable, profitable living, then this whole system wouldn't work. So one thing we discovered is that if you look at a third-party delivery driver, they're going to get maybe one or two jobs an hour. But that's not enough for them to actually compete for their time. So we've turned out we needed to solve that problem and get them more jobs per hour. So at cluster truck, we get them four to six jobs an hour versus one to two, and that's really the key to make this whole system work. Because we keep their utilization very high, keep them working, and that helps them and that helps us make make all the economics work.
0: How do they engage? So I mean, you don't just have. 20 drivers that are working for cluster truck right they have they have the opportunity to engage with your with your software and figure out if there's work for them that day right yeah
2: so that's what's great about our system is that there's no scheduling it's purely on demand so we also make sure we don't oversaturate our courier pool because we want to make sure that the couriers who are in our loop that they're making enough money so if one of the things that you know we believe if DoorDash has 1,000 orders coming on you know downtown here during, during lunchtime, it's going to take them 800 drivers to deliver those orders. But here at Cluster Truck, we do all our deliveries with a max of about 30 drivers here at our downtown kitchen. Yeah. So we want to make sure that we don't oversaturate that pool. We keep them highly engaged and, uh, and highly utilized so that the economics end up working out best for everyone. So a courier comes on in the morning. They just say, hey, I want to work in the app. And as we have demand, we'll bring them on one at a time, um, you know, as as demand presents itself.
0: You know, other than like meeting you and Chris, I really don't see anyone else that I know that that works for for Cluster Truck, right? So the people that I see, that I know, are drivers. Yeah, absolutely. So to, to some degree, they're your interface.
2: They're your public, right? It's funny. It's, you know, we're a restaurant where you'll never meet or, you know, an employee at Cluster Truck, um, you know, the, the courier is the person who you're, they're our front of house. Yeah. They're the person you're gonna see and you're gonna interact with most. And that's why it's, it's, it's really awesome the, uh, the way our, our courier system has has ended up there, um, you know, with them being very happy and very engaged and keeping them at the forefront of our business, um, it is really valuable for us obviously as a business that the, the person that, that we want to keep the person happy who's the
0: person who our customer's interacting with, yeah. you know, on a day
2: in and day out business.
0: All right, so Chris, um, for those who aren't familiar with your career, I'd love to kind of maybe back up a little bit and and talk about where you've been. I think most people know that you were uh, one of the founders of Exact Target. That was a pretty successful outcome, and then from there you went and you did compendium, had another successful outcome there. So you know of course, if you look at all this, all the success you've had with marketing software, it makes perfect sense for you to jump into the food business, right Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I think one of the things with um um you know with me and like my trick is is a frustration with the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I got involved in the food delivery space because I happened to see Grubhub go public. Um, you know, watching Jim Kramer in mm-hmm. the morning and interviewing the CEO and he starts talking about small businesses and we bring them this incremental volume. You know, I just started thinking about the problem. Um You know, as well, you know, wait, (laughs) I would never give away my customer data. And that's these small businesses are are sometimes sucker for these kind of things. Incremental volume, Mm -hmm. you know, for a small business usually means it's like extra business. It's going to be lower friction. And having been in small business prior to Exact Target, I was a dry cleaner. Right. Um, You know, and and so I understood like people coming in and trying to sell these marketing plans. And and, you know, I knew how valuable customer data was. Um, from my background, so that was the first thing. Secondly, you know, I have the mug in greenfield. We were starting to take online orders, and I could see the friction. it caused a lot of stress. So when I saw him talking about this incremental volume, you know, I kind of said that's that's a lie, and it's not going to work mm. and And the other idea that there are just so many moving parts um and and you know, and there are even more moving parts now, right, right. and you need. Software to make delivery work with your other software, you know, so you've got delivery software, integrated software, um, restaurant software, a separate marketing software, and just the whole thing is a mess. Um, You know, and I, you know, I I thought of it like FedEx, you know, um, Hmm. um, you know, those of us old enough to remember before FedEx, (laughs) if you were mailing something, um, shipping something, it's five to seven days. Yeah. It's in the ether somewhere. You can't track it. You don't know what's happening. It's really expensive. And it goes through a bunch of middlemen. Most packages before FedEx were delivered in incremental volume in the belly of a TWA plane going to Kansas City. And he said, look, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And I'll, I'll get it to you at 10 o'clock in the morning tomorrow. But his audacity was, I've got to own the airplane. And in our case, we had to own the kitchen. We had to own the production facility right. to actually make that work. You have to control everything.
0: Yeah, to some degree. I, mean, I think if you look at what a lot of companies are doing today, they're doing the opposite, right? I mean, they, they want to own as little as possible. Right. But, but in, with cluster truck, you want to own the entire process from the time that you're creating the food until you're actually delivering it curbside to a customer. Right.
1: I mean, the big change that's happening right now is this word incremental, right, versus disruptive, Incremental was Sears, right? Sears had everything, right? Mm-hmm. They sold everything. They had warehouses and catalogs, and you know they were shipping houses and plows in the 1800s out west. Along comes the internet, and it was like this incremental add-on, right? It didn't become a core piece of their business. It was an add-on. And everything in food delivery is still considered an add-on, right? They don't consider it as its own space. Meanwhile, as you said, this is a trillion-dollar business. Right. It's like this is almost as big as the entire restaurant business, and everyone's still treating it like it's this incremental stepchild to the real restaurant. And what's interesting about the industry today is that restaurants are full. Everyone says the pandemic, and that's actually not exactly true. But but um, when restaurants emptied, delivery coincidentally grew. Um, but restaurants are full and delivery is still growing, right? Mm. So who are we taking share from, right? We're not taking share from Mike Cunningham's restaurants. You can't get in them, right? Mm-hmm. But delivery is still growing, right? So, you know, you're really taking share from people cooking their own food, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. and, um, um, so I think smart people are starting to recognize that, that delivery is its own category. It's not an incremental category that I have a few extra hours on a stove. I can cook a couple more grilled cheese sandwiches. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, this is an actual real business. Now you've described yourself as a one-trick
0: pony with a really good trick, right? Um, it's all about applying technology to hard problems. Um, or is there more to it? I mean, when you when you you admitted that you were watching a newscast, uh, learning about was and it was Grubhub, right? Right, right. And, and you realized that there's, I mean, you based on the experience that you've had with a couple of pretty successful companies, that there was something that you could apply to that. It, was it that simple, or was it a
1: lot more to that? More than that. I'm sitting in a room full of engineers, so I don't want to say it was that simple. But you know, I, I um, always threaten to get a tattoo saying, "How hard would it be? How hard would it be?" To... But that is the that is the thing for me is just I get frustrated. Um, you know, I I break UIs like you know, and things like that 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 just don't seem right are probably not right. And and so, how would you solve that? And uh, you know, I'm fortunate to you know have super super talented folks around me that can help me solve that. Mm-hmm. So.
0: You, you've noted too, uh, you, you mentioned the Mug, one of your restaurants. Um, you've also got uh, Tyner Tiner Pond Farms. Tyner Pond right? Farms, yeah. So you've definitely, you had ventured into food already. Yeah. Before I, you decided to, to go with, with, with Cluster Truck.
1: No, that modicum of experience, you know, wasn't much, but it was enough to say, you know, coupled with, again, my small business experience with dry cleaners, you know, and seeing these people, you could just see the future. You could say, you're going to take my data and you're going to sell it to McDonald's, right? Mm-hmm. And when I go online to search for hamburger, you're going to offer my customer a competing hamburger mm-hmm. because they're going to pay more. And that's, of course, exactly what's happened, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, uh, these companies are all completely built about big brands and all the small companies that, that started them are, are left by the wayside. But to a degree, you've also created a brand too, right? With ClusterTruck. Great. Again, that's, yeah. you know we are... We're at least transparent that we compete with restaurants to a point for delivery. But like I said, Mike Cunningham is a partner, investor, collaborator, and cluster truck because we do not compete with them, right? If you want to go out with your friends after work or you want to take your significant other and go have dinner, you know, you're going to do that, right? But, you know, when you're sitting on your couch streaming Killing Eve, (laughs) it's 7 o'clock at night, you know, and you want something brought to you, that's our space. Yep. So Brian, we'll talk a little bit about menu,
0: right? So you've been at this for, what, six or seven years now? Yeah. And so you've had the ability to kind of track what what sells, what doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. Um, But, well, first off, how much does that affect what you put on the menu, what you take off of the menu?
2: Yeah. So data is a huge part of cost of And that's one of the really awesome parts about being this vertically integrated um, restaurant is that we have data from top to bottom from, you know, a traditional restaurant, you know, well they know that they have a customer come in. They don't know who that customer is. Well, a cluster truck, we we know who everybody is. You know, right. you are you are a customer of ours. You know, you interact with the app. We know you know the things you like, and we can make recommendations based on your ordering history. And we can see you know which items are popular, right. which ones don't sell, and then we can see you know really cool things like return rate. So we know if you know if certain if somebody has a certain item for their very first visit, you know, there may be a fifty percent chance that they come back. But we know if they have this item for the first visit, maybe there's an eighty percent chance that they come back. So we can do really advanced analytics to know, you know, what are the items that we should push towards you, what are the items that may need to cycle on and off the menu, you know, what items do we need to tweak. But data is, is what makes all that possible. Okay. And it's a really key advantage to cluster chart.
0: So you've benefited from that six years or so, right? Yeah. But you had to start somewhere right that's right so six years ago you're sitting in a room and you're trying to figure out what are we going to put on the menu right yeah so how did that decision how did those decisions get made and like let's even narrow in on like something you're popular for mm-hmm. that i think you're way ahead of the curve on and that's tots right uh-huh. who's how how did tater tots get onto the menu and why are they so popular now what did you know about tater tots that we didn't know six years ago
2: you know it's funny i'm not sure what we knew or not it's uh <laughs> Beyond the data we have, we also have a really incredible culinary team. So you know our executive chef Tim McIntosh, you know him in combination with you know we have some awesome advisors in the Cunningham Restaurant Group who have helped us you know with that initial menu and Tim built out some you know some awesome recipes. Sure. That that all this came from. You know you get an email you see from Chef Tim or Chef James or you know all the all of our all of our awesome chefs here in Indianapolis. You know they built out that initial one and you know at that point you know it's the their years of industry experience to say you know. These things are awesome, these yeah. things are, are, are you know, people are going to love, and so, you know, let's start there, and then we'll see what the data says.
0: Yeah. So how much has it changed from the early days to now? It's gone through phases, so, you know, there,
2: we've, we've had some phases where we, we had the initial menu, you know, it, some of that stuff was really great, and then we, you know, we shared, tried some things, we learned what was good, what was not, you know, we brought some old favorites back, you know. There are some things that's even sold really great in the old days that we're still trying to bring back. So there's a lot of the the balance between, you know, knowing the data, knowing the reorder rates, um, you know, how does that work in our kitchen? What's really interesting here in this kitchen is we have all these concepts that come off of a single make line. So it's not like we have little individual restaurants stacked up in our kitchen. So we're able to do that with a lot of cross utilization of ingredients. So, you know, not only does uh, the data go into that, but understanding how we can, Best run our kitchen, you know, knowing that we have these ingredients in the kitchen. What are the different items yeah. we can make with it? So, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of management that goes into it. A lot, a lot of chefs' expertise, a lot of data, and it's a really cool way to kind of combine those two worlds that haven't had a lot of cross pollinization in the past.
0: So that data has to be pretty strong to say that you're going to bring a new menu item on if it's going to mean a disruption to the way your kitchen is set up right now, right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: So we yeah, we're we're typically not going to bring on a new menu item if it's got a unique ingredient that's only going to be used on one item. Yeah. You know, we look at if we're going to bring something in, you know, what are four or five different items that we could, you know, that we could put on a menu and 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 be able to to make sure that's really well utilized. And you know, the same thing for taking a taking an item off, you know, we have some really interesting data that says, you know, well, a certain item may only sell a certain amount by having that item, it unlocks a whole other group of people being able to order. So there's, you know, the veto vote. You know, want we'll to make sure you always have vegetarian, vegan, you know, things that you know. There's something for everyone here. Yeah. And even though it may not be the the top item on our product mix, um, it's really important. So we're able to see all that data, see how things interrelate, and make sure we're making the right decision with our with our menu. All
0: right, so let's talk about beyond Indianapolis. So yeah. we've got Indianapolis, we've got Kansas City, we've mm-hmm. got Columbus, Ohio. Yeah. Uh, and and you've got a great portion of Indianapolis as well yeah have you found that in certain areas like for instance are there are there things on the menu in Kansas City that aren't on the menu in Indianapolis things that are unique
2: yeah so it's 95% the same so beyond some some regional specials that we may do um you know just some so some unique things um it's almost identical what's really fascinating to, to see is that our p mix our product mix is almost identical between the kitchens too so um you know we we've had a lot of theories to know or you know uh, hypotheses you know well certain cities have different you know tastes or whatever but you know what you still see tots at the top of the menu you still see the lazy breakfast burrito you see the uh, the buffalo chicken wrap um, those things all, always come up to the top so it's really fascinating to see that just how how consistent it is across uh, across markets
0: all right so let's talk a little bit about the future of cluster truck so since establishing yourself here or you know, 2015 you Basically, we'll hold up and, and, and probably in, in a room with a bunch of engineers, came up with, with the software, opened your first kitchen in 2016. Right.
1: Literally six years ago this week. Right? so Tomorrow and, or next day, yeah. And so now there are how many kitchens in the Indianapolis area? So we have um, seven total about to build our eighth. We have mm-hmm. five here and one in Kansas City and one in Columbus, Ohio. Right. Yeah. That's, so that's what I wanted to talk about. So why Kansas City?
0: Why Columbus, Ohio? How did those come about?
1: because I'm not very smart. <laughs> and I didn't know a lot about the restaurant business, so you know when we went out, you know Indy downtown was such a wild success that we thought we better run to other cities that look like Indy. And what we didn't recognize in part of the success with the Indy Kitchen was, you know, that we're all here. Like every single one of us will tell our friends to order, and you know, I people know me, you know, I can. You know, there's an a, a exact target alumni channel that I could go on to and say order from Cluster Truck, and 100 people will. Um, but nobody in Denver, Colorado really cares about Chris Baggett mm-hmm. or any of us. And what we didn't realize is that the key to the restaurant business is really about saturation and saturating markets. So, you know, we go out to these markets and they kind of struggle. But to answer your question, we pick cities that look like Indy mm-hmm. Columbus, Kansas City, Minneapolis, Denver, Cleveland to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, But we could not build the brand fast enough to make the restaurants make money. And that's a big thing that's informing our future is the software has always worked, but the economics of the restaurant haven't necessarily always worked. And then we realized we are in two different businesses here. And and it's very hard to be a master of either. We know we're a master of the software business because even a failing Denver was still delivering in 21 minutes and four jobs per hour for the drivers and you know and that's the the biggest key to us like our software treats the driver as if he's the core constituency or she is the core yeah. constituency you know this the 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 machine will error on the side of the driver over the customer almost every time mm-hmm. because we know if it's good for the driver it's going to be good for the customer mm-hmm. but some days you'll see you know up on this board see it's coming up here in a minute but you know you'll see delivery times that might be in the 60 70 minutes mm-hmm. Um, but we can also see kind of the orders we call it in the cloud. So a little bit into the future and we say, Oh, that's like a a very short bubble. If I bring on more drivers, I can make that time go down, but it's a temporary blip. And then I have too many drivers on. And if I have too many drivers on for afternoon volume, like we're in now, no, everyone's going to make less money. Like we think about diluting the driver pool. So if we have to make a trade between diluting the driver pool or having the customer have an hour-long delivery, we're going to choose the hour-long delivery. Um, The customer knows that even at an hour, because we're timing the driver and the cooking of the food, that my food is never going to be older than seven minutes, Mm -hmm. right? If you have an hour-long delivery on a third party, odds are your food is 55 minutes old by the time it gets to you. Um, But in our case, the customer knows we're not cooking the food until exactly the right time to get it to you in under seven minutes from cook time. I love your transparency, you know, that you're willing to admit that, yeah, we we took
0: this step and maybe it didn't work out because you've been there. You, you've, you've, you're you've a proven serial entrepreneur. Um, what else have you learned along along the way? So, I mean, you oh you goodness. noted that, like, <laughs> hey, it wasn't as easy to go into places like Denver or, or, where, or, or wherever else, but what else have you learned along the way that could well, be Well, I think that
1: saturation thing was a big thing. I mean, we spent A lot of investors' money on building facilities Mm -hmm. and trying to market into them and and make them work. And you know, again, the challenge of having this minuscule delivery zone of six or seven minutes. You know, ninety percent of our marketing dollars are being heard by people who can't buy the product, right? So, and that's where I got very lucky and stumbled across. uh, Somebody introduced me to Steve Ellis, the founder of Chipotle. And basically, Chris, man, we had 16 Chipotles in Denver before we ever thought about leaving Mm. the Denver-Boulder metro area, right? You know, you need to close these things and go home and saturate your market. Um, And a part of it also was the way we were cooking food. You know, Indy was an instant success, but the kitchen we built literally requires about $3 million a year to break even. Mm. Now, we do three times that now, but but that's not going to work in the suburbs. So we had to do a lot of, um, you know, figuring out how to cook food in a very, very different way. Mm-hmm. And that's brand new for us, right? Me and, and the, you know, from a technology standpoint, um, but also, you know, a challenge. So, yeah, you mentioned a suburb. So you've had some pretty cool partnerships come along the way as well, right? So you
0: partnered with Kroger. Yeah, there's Tell a me great, little bit about that.
1: great yeah. example of, of kind of, a, you know, a mistake, right? Um, you know, the hope was like, so we're struggling trying to build boxes, right? These units, and they're expensive and time-consuming and permits. And it's like, oh, man, if only there was an easy way. Like, who's got a lot of underutilized kitchens? Well, grocery stores have a lot of underutilized kitchens, right? There's a deli in every grocery store. There's a hood. There's plenty of electricity. There's three compartment sinks, all the things you have to learn mm-hmm. to be in a restaurant business. So, you know, and, and Kroger was very open to the idea. You know, Cole called them, um, you know, took a couple months, finally found somebody, and and they were all super receptive and we went down this path um, where you know we're going to try this and open a couple of kitchens and you know we we built into Max and Irma's just completely separate and they were trying to see if a brand of Kroger delivery kitchen would work. Um, you know, we landed on that doesn't work. You know, but you know they were great partners in in the respect that um, you know we're going to try a bunch of things and see what works and what doesn't work. At the end of the day, you know they're in the grocery store experience game and we're in the Ghost Kitchen, like, we don't want a public facade. We don't want to be in a busy area, you know? So, you know, like, you know, like a Fisher's, for example, where it's great, very successful. But, um, you know, we offer pickup there because that's Mm -hmm. what Kroger wants. And, you know, nobody really wants pickup. But all the other companies that can't deliver profitably are trying to convince you to come and get it, right? But if you come and get it, the food is going to be old. But that's now on you, right? You know, I had someone that I um, talked to this two or three months ago, and he had left a review about this soggy Nashville hot chicken sandwich. So I look him up, and the food sat, till he got it, it sat 18 minutes. Mm. Had he taken delivery, he would have had that food in six minutes from the time it was cooked. So it sat 18 minutes. So I call him, I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, why you didn't take delivery and tell me about this experience, and really nice. And he's like, well, yeah. So I picked it up, but then I was going to get something in the store, so how long did that take? Fifteen minutes, great. Then I checked out. How long it take? Five minutes. Then I had to walk to my car. Yeah, how long that take? Five minutes. Then I drove home. Eight minutes. Then I, you know, <laughs> had to unload my car, of course, my groceries and put them away. Then I ate the sandwich. He's like, holy cow, this sandwich was now rolled, right? And you know, that's that's the, the breakthrough for us is is delivery is always going to be better than pickup, but Chipotle's out there trying to convince everybody to use the Chipotle lane because. They can't afford to deliver, mm-hmm. and that's the breakthrough of our software: is we make delivery profitable.
0: So, if you go back really to to your start in, in, into food with with mug uh, with tyner Ponds, right? I mean, that's all. That's always been about quality, right? Right. And so, with Cluster Truck, the focus really is on quality,
1: it's... but at the same time, profitability on top of quality. Exactly. I mean, there's David Chang, the famous chef. And David Chang, you know, had this article when we were first starting out a few years ago, and he was talking about this Philly cheesesteak that, you know, painstakingly worked on this recipe to make this Philly cheesesteak taste good after 45 minutes. And we're just like, dude, solve the 45-minute problem, <laughs> and you can serve any Philly cheesesteak right. you want. I mean, you see our packaging. Like, we're not—everything is completely normal because we've solved the time problem, Right. You know, it's Tom Hanks in Castaway. Remember that opening scene in Russia and never commit the sin on turning your back on time. But, you know, I mean, we're counting seconds all the way through the process, shaving it here, shaving it here, shaving it here. But especially, you know, I do have a tattoo that says, don't ship maybes. (laughs) And a maybes is anything that sits for two minutes. Yeah. You know, so, you know, don't don't send out food that you're not 100 percent confident in. Yeah. And you see that in our reviews. If you look at third-party delivery reviews, they're all one star. You look at our reviews in every one of our kitchens, we're five stars, and people are blown away because there is no expectation of quality. Like that's not the problem that you're hiring delivery to do for you. You just want the calories, you know. But when you get cluster truck, you're just not going back to Doordash, right? Because it's it's good. It's delivered by friendly, engaged people because we have the best job. In the gig economy, we get the best gig economy people, and you probably saw them at the kitchen. Yeah. Nice cars, nice people. Everyone knows everyone's name because they're not a bunch of randoms that have a two-week lifespan. Brian probably told you, you know, something like 75% of our drivers started driving the week the kitchen where they work open. Like, Mm. they never leave. And we have drivers that are six years old here at Indy Mm -hmm. um, because it's the best gig. And if you want this kind of flexibility... You know, and that's that again, that's kind of our breakthrough. Yeah. So I got a chance, as you mentioned, to to tour one of your kitchens
0: today and and talk to Brian. We talked a little bit about data and how important data is to, to what's going on in the kitchen today and how it's informed how you've gotten to where you are today. But what about the future? So I love talking to technology companies because I know that they are collecting data and not data to infringe on someone's someone's privacy, but they're collecting this data to inform what their next step is going to be. So you've been at this for six years now, as you've said. What have you collected that's been able, what kind of data have you collected that's been able to inform where you're going to
1: go next? Well, you know, like, you know, what I love about machine learning is, um, um, you know, it's like a child, right? And so we're sitting here with like this eight-year-old, like we've got six years in it. You know, it can like ride a bike and it can do its homework and, you know, maybe give itself a bath. Right. You know, and, you know, by the time any of our competitors come along to be an eight year old, you know, we're going to be going on dates and, you know, frat parties and, you know, (laughs) it's going to be at a completely different level of maturity. And so that gets us really excited. You know, the data is, is just super informative. We have this super broad menu, you know, and we have this recommendation engine that works really, really well about what you will like next based on all our customers and everything they've ever ordered and everything you've ever ordered. And, you know, it's just the insights are incredible. You know, if you order a chipotle shrimp taco, are you a Mexican food eater? Are you a savory food eater? Are you a seafood eater? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's going to inform what, you know, what we, what we offer to you as what we think you might like next. Okay. And when you have a broad menu like us, helping the customers sort through that, you know, I mean, I'm all in favor of, of course, I've been in the data business my whole life, but. You know, I will give you every scrap of data to make my life easier and better. And, and that's really kind of how we approach this. We don't use our data that much for marketing, right? We're, um, you know, we use it a lot to, in, to make the system better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kinds of foods do we get complaints on? When we launched, we launched with a, um, um, and we made all of this in-house, but a tofu, kimchi, vegetarian burrito. And it was one of the top five sellers. But then we looked at the data after a few weeks, and we realized that um, nobody ever reordered it. And if it was the first cluster truck item you had, you are never coming back. So then it's like, okay, what item should we serve a first-time customer, right? To make sure that we get a high reorder rate, right. like you are going to like this food. Um, so what are our most highest reordered items for a first-time customer is an important piece of data. Secondly, obviously. Kill the kimchi, right? Tofu burrito, <laughs> you know. But um, you know, but that kind of thing, you know, just you know, all across the system. What do we get the most complaints about? What do we, you know, pad thai is, is a, is it's it, it, it's very polarizing, but it's our highest reorder rate rated food, but also one of our most. You know, when I was in college in 1975, I was wandering through the streets of Bangkok, and you know, this is not that. You know, <laughs> okay, yeah, it's not that. You're right, but it's pretty good. So, um.
0: so as we look at the future for Cluster Truck, um, we've talked about some pretty significant things that are coming down the pike. One of them is the software. So, Cluster Truck, as we have known it for the last six years, has been the software and the restaurant. Right. But now you're talking about being able to pick up that software and allow other people to use it. Talk right. to me more about that. how that decision came to be and what it's going to look like.
1: Well, yeah, thank you. It, you know, you can't go to any kind of conference in our space, which is restaurants, mm-hmm. and not hear everyone bemoaning... The entire third party delivery relationship, right? It's bad for the drivers and they can't make enough money, so they have to be subsidized by the third parties. So now the third parties can't make enough money. The fees are too high on the consumer and the quality is not good enough, you know, um, and the fees are too high on the restaurant, right? So there's like nobody's happy with this, and yet you've got this massively growing business. And people are trying to solve the problems kind of on the periphery of what we do and really believing that the third party is the only way to do that last-mile delivery. And, um, you know, we know we have an, an, an alternative. We have a six-year-old beta test here with Cluster Truck. We've delivered literally millions of orders and average a seven-minute delivery time from cook to in-your-hands. We average four jobs an hour. We average an under 10% delivery cost. Um, 10% is the line item you would use if you were scooping food at Chipotle. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what front-of-house costs. So we're delivering at a lower cost than you can serve Hmm. in a restaurant. That's a huge breakthrough. So, you know, lots of folks are starting to reach out to us. Like, you know, what are you doing and how are you doing this? And as you said before, this ghost kitchen is just, it's massively growing and we're the only ones on the planet that I know of that can deliver profitably for free. Um, And, you know, we, for fun, ordered from five guys the other day, and you know, I think two cheeseburgers totaled something like $47. Um, you know, well, I mean, again, $8 DoorDash service yeah. fee, right? Not counting whatever. Yeah, the delivery fee is only two ninety-nine or whatever, but then there's this $8 service fee, and you you dig into that, and it's like, well, tax, oh, and uh, helping us keep the software running. But DoorDash can't make money, right? I mean, their stock has been like this. Um and the only lever they have to pull to make money is, is fees. And the market has pretty much reached its tolerance on fees. So we just feel like there's a spectacular opportunity for us. What's the time frame on that launch? You know, we, we, we have um, unnamed customers um, lined up, and um, a lot of them have to build facilities. But, you know, we will be ready to go in the fall, for Great. sure. I mean, we will be live in the fall with customers. Chris, thanks so much for your time today and opening up not only your office but your
0: kitchen to us to get a good glimpse in, into what Cluster Truck is doing. And we're, we're excited to see what's going
1: to happen next. Sounds good. Thank thanks. you. Appreciate it.